Hello, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Today on the podcast, I have game designer Elizabeth Hargrave, designer of Wingspan. Um, I was particularly interested to get um, Elizabeth on the podcast because, um, I mean, uh, Wingspan, I think, is a, is a very special game just on its own in terms of um, its theme, its mechanics, its aesthetics, pretty much everything about it is, is pretty special. And also, uh, but particularly, I, I read an interview with um, Elizabeth where she talked about some of the um, uh, violent uh, or possibly violent ways that the game could have existed, um, having to do with like predatory birds and things like that. Um, and that made me interested because, you know, in the space of uh, the kinds of games that I talk about on this show and that I'm particularly interested in, it's hard to find um, aesthetics that really deviate far from either a war theme or some kind of, um, you know, uh, dominance building theme. Um, you know, so that's one of the things I found special about the game. And uh, hearing about uh, Elizabeth's struggle with some of the things there just kind of resonated with me in terms of the struggles that I've been talking about for a few years now. Um, and and so, yeah, I really wanted to dive into that with her. I think it went really well. And um, so that's coming up. I also wanted to quickly just give a couple of updates. Um, the big one is uh, I've been I'm almost ready to print as of actually today. I got that email from my uh, my printer people uh, for Dragon Bridge. And I should be able to, we are finishing up the tournament right now. Uh, actually, we're about halfway through the Dragon Bridge tournament. If uh, anyone is interested in uh, watching some of that, I've been posting some videos uh, of, of some of the matches. Um, I am in the loser's bracket, as you might imagine. Uh, although I put up a good fight. I, I took down, I, I beat Captain in one of the games. Uh, Captain is the best, world's best Dragon Bridge player at the moment, I'm pretty sure. But um, I'm waiting to do that tournament, uh, get some final feedback going for that, and then uh, I'm going to pretty much uh, set to head to printing at least uh, like a demo copy of the final version of the game. Um, and then we should be able to start getting orders out and, and start getting the Kickstarter out there. I'm going to also, uh, try to get a store page up because, um, there will be other copies available if you didn't get in on the Kickstarter. I actually, I've talked to a few people who said like, I had no idea the Kickstarter was happening. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I post, I spammed about it every day on all my social media channels for, but you know, it, it's, there's so much going on. There's so many games, there's, even just in board games, there's just so many games that it's really easy for things to get lost. So, um, and it was a small Kickstarter. It wasn't a, it wasn't a big, big deal. Um, so, but if you did miss it and you want to get the game, that will be possible, um, starting pretty soon. Um, I will keep people posted about that. My other little, uh, housekeeping note is that, uh, pretty much all the time I haven't been writing articles or, or doing as many podcasts of late because I am all hands on deck working on my tactics game, Gem Wizards Tactics. I do intend to write up something about the game on my site soon, but it's like every time I sit down to like try to do that, I'm just like, you know what? I really just need to just 
keep making this game and and kind of get it out there um because i really am very excited about it and i think it's gonna be um great and so I'm, i've been working on it all day today uh, and you know before i recorded this podcast and uh yeah so that those are my big things that's what's going on with me uh without any more uh delay i will get right into the conversation with elizabeth hargrave So, Elizabeth Hargrave, thank you for coming to the show, and uh, thank you for being here, and thanks for making such a cool, interesting uh, game. Uh, My pleasure. So, I really wanted to get you on the show specifically to talk about. Well, I want to get some of your background and you know what you come, where you come from, because I think you have a, a different background than a lot of people in games. Um, and I just uh, noticed that uh, on your website it says that you're actually in public health policy. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and I I just got a uh, I just finished a degree, a degree this year. I went back to school and got a poli sci degree, and uh, so I've learned a lot about like you know American healthcare stuff. So maybe we can get into that at some point. That'd be yeah. kind of interesting. But um, I do I really want to bring you on to talk about because I I saw some interviews with you and to talk about um your perspective on games, uh, strategy games specifically, um, competition violence and also um just how these things all wrap up together uh and how we navigate you know as people who want to make things in the world in a responsible way how we navigate some of the issues that um you know um kind of come up in in those kinds of questions so that's like really my big thing that i ultimately want to get to uh but first i wanted to get a little bit of your background how you got into games um, kind of where you're coming from a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So my gaming background, I mean, I grew up playing lots of mass market games and a lot of trick-taking games. Like I would play hearts with my parents and um, a ton of spades in college, um, lots of Scrabble. But I first started playing sort of hob- what we call hobby board games in maybe 2005. I was on a retreat with um, some folks from my Unitarian church um, in the winter. And I'm not really an outdoorsy winter person. I grew up in Florida. Hmm. So um, <laughs> someone had brought a bunch of board games and um, I ended up pretty much hanging out with people all, all weekend, just playing games in the house that we had rented. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like the first time I had played Carcassonne and Catan and Blockus. I don't remember what else we had there, but it was it was great. I was totally hooked. Nice. And then you you only started. When did you actually start like designing your own games? Like when did that even emerge as an idea for you? Probably like nine years later. I I, I my first game was Wingspan. Mm-hmm. I am fuzzy on when I started it, but um, but I think it was in about end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Um. And it was really, you know, having been play, playing board games for a bunch of years at that point, just even though I really enjoyed the, the process and the mechanisms, not really thinking the themes were very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, got into conversations with friends about, you know, why are all the games about castles and <laughs> spaceships and like things we don't care at all about? And at one point my husband was like, there should be race for the galaxy, but with birds, you can oh, totally man. do this with something else. And uh, my brain just kind of latched onto that and wouldn't let it go. 
So, and I've heard that uh, that you actually started uh, Wingspan with birds as like the first thing that you started with, like not with a yeah. systemic concept, and then you built around the birds. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was thinking sort of engine buildery race for the galaxy, literally. Right. Um, but thinking about sort of, you know, all, all these games that we play, a lot of them have sort of economic systems. And I was thinking a lot about like what in nature there are economic systems too. There's supply and demand and, and different resources and different amounts and things like that. And so sort of thinking about what a, a nature-based economic system would look like in a game instead of economic systems that involve chopping down all the trees and mining all of the ore. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Good. That's kind of a good transition into the broader topic, which is like, um, and I know that you a little bit had some, some struggles with this and, or at least hard decisions to make in terms of um, building win wingspan. I, at one point you had um, the idea of uh, that, that some of the predatory birds could actually like, you know, attack or, or kill the other birds. Is that right? How did that, there's a story behind that, right? Well, a little bit. I mean, I tried a lot of different things and, and, um, yeah, at one point when birds were a lot easier to play, they weren't, didn't spend as many time, as much time in the game amassing resources to play them. Um, the predator birds could kill a bird, but, um, it just felt, terrible to a lot of people to have so much progress in the game. Like the game has always been mostly about building things up, right? You're like mm -hmm. collecting stuff in front of you and to have that knocked back pretty significantly, especially as things got more expensive within the game, um, just felt worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and came up with another thing for the predators to do that still feels like they're hunting birds, but not, um, not making people feel terrible. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is a, uh, I think a lot of like, you know, Euro games and those kinds of games, like build uh, system building games, it's, you know, uh, there's a sort of a, like, uh, I don't want to say obvious, but like a, a very widely felt feeling of like, well, we're building up these sandcastles and we don't want to like kick each other's sandcastles over, right? Like as part of the play, like we want, we want to sort of, um, we want how we're building to matter and to be able to interact in some ways, but we don't want to have a feeling that like what we're building is being destroyed and bef before us because that's just like kind of not fun. Um, right. Yeah, and and that's interesting. And and so for me, as someone who's like you know trying to figure out, um, I guess like guidelines for building these kinds of systems, um, you know, I, I I think a lot about like what what is, is there something? I guess the broad question is. Um, what do you think about competition? Um, did you ever consider making uh, Wingspan into, for example, like a, a cooperative game or some other kind of less competitive game? I know that there, it does have two modes. One is definitely less competitive than the other. Although ultimately, you know, there is a winner in either case. And yeah. how do you think about how do you think about that as like because um, like one of the th ideas I'm playing with is like you know, maybe sometimes there's something fundamentally about like, we're all going to sit around a table and then socially sort ourselves sort of by like, who's the winner, <laughs> right? Like, like stratify ourselves socially as to who's the best and who's not the best. Do you know what I mean? Like, does yeah, that make sense? Or even if you're not, I mean, yeah, there is a little bit of stratification, but also just that personal satisfaction of like, I took what was given to me and did the best I could with it. Right. Um, which I don't, I don't think you get quite the same personal satisfaction 
in that way out of a co-op. I mm. think I think there's still satisfaction in your team mm-hmm. winning. Um, but yeah, I really in, like multiplayer solitaire to me is not a pejorative term. I enjoy I agree, completely. doing my own little thing and seeing if I can do it well. Yeah, I mean, solitaire is great. You know, single player games are great. And then you get to play a single player game with your friends. Like, that's awesome. How is that bad? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I tried to find other little pieces of interaction in the game so that it's not literally multiplayer solitaire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are certainly things that happen over the food supply and, the, and drawing cards that affect other players. There are birds that... Um, let you do things on other people's turns when something happens um, that certainly forces you to pay attention to what's going on around the table um, in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. And then you mentioned the goal board, which like either you can just be going for things and get some points for them, or you can be going for having the most of that thing compared to other people and getting points for that. Um, and that certainly is a, is a, another place where if, if you're playing on who has the most, then you have to pay attention to what other, what other people are doing, even if there isn't a way for them to directly knock you back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so for you, it's more of a, um, so the, the idea of making this game came more out of a, like, I guess, uh, did it come more out of like, you know, it it bothers me that there is such a because it is true that there is a very narrow range of um, kind of uh, like aesthetics and and kinds of play inside of board games. I guess especially when you think about like the thematic, you know, like how things are expressed. Like what are the metaphors? It's it's often either in space or in like some old you know medieval farm or something. Right. And cool. um, and yeah, and and I think that you know that's interesting. I think. You know, coming from video games, so my background's in video games. That's where I come from, and that's like a completely different world and a and a different problem. Where um, in video games, everything is like war. Everything is like you know different kinds of war, different expressions of war, or a fight between two people, or like you know, it's just it's all war pretty much. Like, or at least in the especially in the history, it's getting better. But so when I come into board games, so I came into board games a little bit later than you. I started getting into them really in like 2010. Uh, and I got like super, super into them. And I, I really love these kinds of board games. But I was coming at it with, I think, maybe more of a critical eye for like violence and, mm. um, and, and, you know, representation of, well, all kinds of representation, but, but in particular, in particular, uh, representation of, you know, conflict and, and how people, uh, navigate problems and how people work together or don't work together or are sort of, um, you know, incentivized to, uh, seek dominance over each other. Like dominance yeah. is like such a, a, a kind of like central theme in video games in particular. And so you, that was another thing that's refreshing to me about Euro games is that they, they they seem to sort of step back from that a lot. There's some talk that like, you know, a lot of Euro games come out of like Germany and in Germany they there's not as much of a desire for this like warlike, you know, power fantasy for historical reasons. Um right. uh which is interesting. Uh but yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you have any thoughts about all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard the same thing about German games and sort of the the genesis of 
that style of play coming mm. out of sort of experiences of having lived through World War II and just like not being interested in reenacting that in a board yeah. game. Um, and I think also there's a little bit more of a culture in Germany of parents playing Euro games with their children and so like not wanting to beat up on each other mm. because of that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanting to to play things that are friendly. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And board games have that in America too. There's much more of a right. family dynamic, whereas video games are much more. You know, you just play right. it by yourself in your bedroom or whatever. And yeah, so I, you know, I'm I'm very interested in thinking about how board games can be, or any kind of games can be used to like help us become more social people rather than mm-hmm. more antisocial. And right. um. So, so I think that your game, you know, for what it's worth, I think is a really, especially in the strategy game space. So like your game is exactly the kind of game I like. I love Race for the Galaxy. I was literally playing Race for the Galaxy, the Keldon AI digital version, like moments before this call, (laughs) like, you know, like (laughs) within a half an hour ago, I was playing it. And, uh, so this is exactly my kind of game and it's so hard to find, um, to find games that, you know, even just aesthetically kind of, um, lean in the direction of of kind of a more humane more uh i don't know le- less uh less antisocial kind of atmosphere or, or vibe i guess yeah i mean and I, I, it's interesting you talk about aesthetically because i i've been thinking about that a little bit i gave a talk last week at tabletop network which is a conference aimed at designers that's a couple days before like tagged on to bgg con a, a couple days early and um, I pulled a bunch of the data. You know that the Quantic Foundry survey that was going around in the last couple of years, where they like do a chart of like your gamer motivations, or that you really like aesthetics and interaction, but you're not big on whatever. I don't remember off the top of my head what all the sure. three of like eight or ten different categories of of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really showed that there are gender differences in um, what people are looking for in board games and how they um, score on some of those metrics, including conflict. Women are much less likely to say that at least that it's the primary thing that they like about board games. That's kind of how Quantic Foundry released the data is like by gender. What are the what are the primary motivators? Mm-hmm. Um but it got me thinking also about a lot of the other aspects of board games like aesthetics and like I you know people have said to me that Wingspan looks like a game for women because of the sort of pastel palette um, and if you look at so, uh, so many board games that come out are just very dark and mm. they look like the men's clothing section in Sears yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the palette that's allowed right Yeah, no. I, uh, so, I mean, yeah, color is part of it. Like, every, everything is part of it. I mean, the rendering style is part of it. I think that, um, you know, I I don't find uh, Wingspan to be, like, particularly gender, you know, uh, communicate like, communicating gender, except... But I d- would say that other games, most other board games do communicate, like, you know, specifically male 
gender mm-hmm. like a lot a lot and that's the thing is that so so and that's so prevalent that when something comes out and it's really it's about birds and there's just pictures of birds you yeah. know it's like that that's clearly i don't think that that has a strong uh in our society like a strong male or female uh kind of association but because it's not like reading heavily as like this is for men this is for men uh people read it <laughs> as a game for women you know what i mean that's really interesting. Yeah, I was over at a friend's house a few weeks ago. And we were looking at his game shelf. And we were like, wow, we could put together like a whole long shelf of games with medieval dude on the side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's especially the games coming out of Europe just have a very particular aesthetic to them. <laughs> well, is that will change over time. We'll see. Is that is that something? So so. What are your, do you, um, I, I mean, Wingspan was a huge hit, obviously. And like, you know, do you, I assume you intend to make more games going forward and uh, like yep. you want game making to be a part of your thing for, you know, for like, and so I have a couple questions about that, about your future, like as a game designer. One is, um, do you think, I mean, I guess because of Tussie Mussy, I, I guess you're not only going to make bird games. Is that right? Or how do you feel about that? Oh, yeah. I feel like all my birds just have to go into wingspan now. Ah, okay. <laughs> We're going to do a bunch of expansions. We've said we want to do one per continent. Nice. So that that alone will keep me pretty busy for a while. But, um, but yeah, I have Tussie Mussy that came out, which is based on the Victorian language of flowers. I have another game that's coming out next summer um, that'll be uh, about monarch butterflies. Hmm, nice. I'm a big yeah. bugs guy. I'm more of a bugs guy yeah. than a birds guy, actually. But yeah. um, that's cool. Um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by their migration story. Did you know that monarch butterflies migrate all the way from Mexico to like Canada every year? Wow. And no, no, no single butterfly ever makes the round trip. Really? That's so it's how they figure out how to do it. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I mean, I, there's so many, that's the other thing is like when, you know, there you go. Like that's a, a theme, a setting for a board game or for a video game that just like is not even considered. It's like not even part of the, you know, imagination palette of, of like most, uh, designers, I feel like, or, 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 or gamers. Um, it's, it, everything's very restrictive. And so, you know, I, I really, I think it's really great that there are more in the last few years. I think things have been changing a lot um, and there are a lot more uh, a wider array of, you know, perspectives and different kinds of um, uh, themes and settings. And, and you know, the, the, the possibilities for how how games can exist are a lot wider, I think, than um, people thought, you know, five, ten years ago, I guess. Right. I mean, people ask me, oh, are you just doing nature games? Is that your thing? And I'm like, that's just like my thing in general. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the stuff that I read about and think about and I'm hanging out outside all the time. And like, so those are the themes that come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered if part of the like the... I don't, I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> the rut that we get into with board game themes isn't that you know a lot of game designers are playing so many games they don't have time to do a lot of other things <laughs> outside. Like, are, do they yeah. just have other hobbies? I don't right. know. Like, um, well, that's actually, I, 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 yeah, I there's something to that. About that, I, but but I do think like when if you're like really insulated by this world, it's easy to think, oh, everyone loves fantasy and whatever else you know and mid- and medieval history 
uh, that's just an obvious thing to do for a game. Whereas like, it would never in a million years occur to me to do either one of those things as a board game. They're just not things that I'm steeped in. Well, and actually you can you can notice that sometimes with the medieval stuff, especially when it's like very historical about like some particular like Russian 17, like, you know, just very like some particular historical thing. And it's all these details about this one. And most people don't know anything about that stuff. And right. it's not to say that that's not interesting, but it is it is like um I do think that uh, game development uh, can be a very isolating and like give you a very small picture of the world. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to go back to school and, and study political science was because um, it's I, I noticed it myself that I was I was just a very um, looking at a small spot part of the world and, and sort of externalizing a lot of my own preferences and uh, beliefs and stuff. And. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's something that, you know, I think we always have to be wary of and cautious about as any artist, right. Is like, how, are, what are we bringing back out into the world? Are we just reproducing our own biases? Are we just, uh, reproducing the same, you know what I mean? Like, are we just, yeah, concentrating things? Um, I also, yeah, I want to ask you in terms of, you know, maybe the more political world, how has your work, if at all, do you think, uh, influenced your game designs or your, I don't know, the way that you look at um, creative work? I mean, I think there's certain work skills that have carried over into the process of making games. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they've influenced my actual designs in ways that I haven't thought about. But like, so um, I specialize mostly in doing Medicare policy and um, for about the last 15 years or so I've been running a, a project where I get to go out and do focus groups with um, Medicare beneficiaries and the physicians that serve them and sometimes other parts of the healthcare world that are sort of in, linked into to serving folks with Medicare coverage. Um, and so like that type of qualitative research where you're sitting down with a group of 10 people and asking them a bunch of questions and like trying to dig deeper and, and figure out their opinions about things like that definitely translates into playtesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, and just like knowing how to, how to get useful things out of a, a group discussion and, and try and make sure everyone gets a word in and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also did many, many years of data analysis type stuff. Um, and so like, I am very comfortable working in spreadsheets <laughs> so that <laughs> when you're doing a deck of 170 cards, there's really no other way to do it besides like, keeping track of everything in a spreadsheet. And it helped me keep track of sort of the relative values of different things and sort of balance cards in different ways. Um, and I've figured out um, there's several different uh, tools that you can use to then translate your spreadsheet directly into cards so that you don't have to make each card individually. Can you uh, can you talk a little bit more about those tools? Because I am someone yeah. who I just I'm just getting into making my own card games like the, as of this year. And uh, I've been like, you know, uh, boot camping all this weird information and bringing people on and asking them specifically, like, literally, what do you what program are you using? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so the one I use is Nandic, and I use it mm. because it is 
it's free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you happen to have InDesign for other reasons, there are ways to do this in InDesign as well. Um, Daniel Solis, I think, has a whole set of info available about the the process he uses to go from spreadsheets to InDesign. Um, and then the Game Crafter has software now called Component Studio. Mm-hmm. I believe you have to pay a subscription for that as yep. well. Um, but Nandek is sort of the free version of those. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, you can go in and program it within Nandek and say, you know, the information that is in column B, I want you to write it in 14-point font ah. you know, at this point on the card. And then... Um, uh, I mean, you can do almost anything if you really set your mind to it and Google enough about how to do things in Nandek. <laughs> I have never run into something that I just absolutely couldn't make happen on a card at a huh. prototype level. I wouldn't do it for like making super beautiful um, cards. So like the graphic designer for Stonemeyer eventually translated everything into InDesign for the I see, I see. And cards, but she used my spreadsheets that I have been using all along, right? And you can right. just pull it all in. Um and yeah, it because when I first first started working on Wingspan, I was doing each card individually, and uh, it was a much smaller deck, so mm-hmm. it wasn't horrible. But oh my god, dude, just being able to like, you know, if you change the the cost of a bunch of cards, or if you change how that translates into the points on them, or whatever, to be able to you know do that all in your spreadsheet and then just push a button and have mm. it generate a whole new deck for you is amazing. That is really cool. So much time. Yeah. That's uh, really cool. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I gotta get more into it. I, I've been doing everything sort of by hand. I have like a spreadsheet, but then I just like copy everything over, but for a small yeah. enough game, it's not a big deal, uh, right. but, but you have 170 cards. So that's just right. completely, you know, untenable to like have to change every single one of those. Um, right, but you know what? I was by the time I did Tusky Musty, I was done with having done this all for Wingspan. Like I started out saying, "Oh, this is just eighteen cards. I'll just do it in a table in Microsoft Word, whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I submitted that a month later, I had transferred it over to Nandek because there were things I was changing across all eighteen cards, and I was like, "You know what? This will just be faster if I just put it in there." Right. You know. So. Um, all right, so I have a very specific um, wingspan question from uh, a, one of my Discord. I have a, a bunch of wingspan fans, and uh, one of the questions that I got uh, about the game was, uh, "Quote here." I, so I don't know any of this to be true, but uh, I'm just. <laughs> it seems like the game is hard for people who don't draw cheap birds in their opening hand. Do you agree? And are there any ways to help mitigate this? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, I do think it can be a little harder to get going. Um, I mean, one thing I always remind you, remind people is that you don't actually have to keep any of the birds in your starting hand. So you mm-hmm. could just keep all five of your food. Right. And and draw, especially if there's something out in that initial um, tray of cards. Yeah, that's um, kind of like a mulligan, right? Like you can yeah, just like, yeah. Basically. I also know people that allow mulligans if you're just like this hand's just not gonna work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, no, okay I, with me. 
Yeah, that I, I I've only played the game a handful of times myself at this point, so I I had, couldn't say. But um, you know, that seems like I mean that's also one of the things that like a lot of card based games have some form of that issue. I mean, you could argue Race for the Galaxy has that to some extent. Um, some opening hands are a little bit easier to kind of get stuff going with than others, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I also want to ask you um, about your like. Do you do you play a lot of games uh, yourself? Like like recently, I mean, since in the last few years, I know that a lot of times game designers, once they especially once they start really getting serious into games, some of them don't end up having as much time to play games. Like for me, I'm these days I'm just like anytime I have to play games, I almost always I'm just like I'd rather just work on my own games, you know? Um, yeah, right. But, it's a zero sum game kind of like play testing versus playing uh, games. But I just got back from PGG. I got to play a bunch of published games there yeah, oh, yeah? I, I do try to still play because i want to know what, what other folks are doing and there's always stuff coming out that i'm curious about for sure um what uh what are some cool things that you saw at uh bgg mm, i really enjoyed the new azul summer pavilion mm -hmm. it's like azul with some extra little difficulties that i found really interesting what else? I got a chance to play Quirky Circuits, which is Nikki Valens' new game. That was super fun. Mm -hmm. Really cute. There's a cat riding around on a Roomba. Nice. Oh, my God. That's great. <laughs> and you have to, like, do... It's cooperative action programming. So you have cards that you're trying to play out together without talking, uh, making the Roomba go in the right direction to get all the dust bunnies. Whoa. So cute. So That's cute, great. and also uh, like a really interesting cooperative puzzle. What's the name of that one again? Quirky Circuits. Oh, cool. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, um, I only put it comes with like a whole book of maps, and I think they get sort of progressively more difficult what you have to do. Um, and I just played the first one, but I loved it. I actually came home and ordered it. <laughs> nice. Um, and I, I also got to hang out with Nikki a bunch at, at a tabletop network or a little bit. I wish I had actually had some more time, but, uh, but so that made me extra motivated to check that one out. What else? I got to play Ecos, which was an interesting, um, I don't know how to, do, what I would call the mechanism. I mean, there's definitely tile laying going on in it, but there's like, it's simultaneous action. Someone's pulling, um, symbols out of a bag, and if you have those symbols on your cards, you you cover them up, and as they get covered up, you get to finish the card and do something, which usually involves laying a tile mm -hmm. or putting animals out on a tile. But the the overall premise is you're like building this world from scratch that has different um, land types and water, and then the animals are coming out, and it, it's a really pretty game, but also. An interesting puzzle. I need to play it a couple more times and like and figure out all the things that are going on. It's fun. Um, do you have any? Uh, I'm. I'm. This may be commonly known, and I just haven't noticed it. But are there any plans or discussions about? There are. There is a digital version of Wingspan coming, right? Or did I imagine that? Yes, they are working on it. I do okay. not know anything about the timeline for it. Um, I see. Do you know? And that and that's coming to. Is that coming to mobile as well as uh, other platforms? We're not sure. I'm not sure. I should know the answer to that. I think they're planning whatever they've done for the other Stonemaier games. It's it's the same company. Team. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, are are you a big digital uh, board game player at all? I have. 
have some stuff on my phone. I don't have a tablet, which I feel like is needed for some of the games that I would love to play mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I have Sp- Splendor and Suburbia. And what else do I have on my phone? I should look. Um, I Sky. I enjoy playing a lot on my phone. You said Isle of Sky? Yeah, there's certain ones that it's like it's a little small, but you can kind of make it work. Patchwork, mm-hmm. Cat mm-hmm. Lady has a great app. Cat Lady. Oh, I don't know about that one. Get on your uh, on your phone screen. Oh, and Mystic Veil has a really nice app. I might actually like Mystic Veil better on the app than in person because you don't have to like deal with the physical putting the cards together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that that stuff. I mean, I love. There's nothing I like more than when I find a game that I like, you know, as a as a system, and then I can just grind out like super fast, um, one player or versus the bot on like an right. app version. Like, uh, I feel like it's like it's such a comfortable and like free way to explore a system, um, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I really I really like that a lot, and I, I'm always on the lookout for those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite uh, board games, like favorite board games of all time? Get What are some of your contenders for that? I often say Race for the Galaxy, which we've already talked about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Castles of Burgundy, I still play a lot. Um, it works great as a two-player. My husband also really enjoys it. Um, those are two of them that often rise to the top when I'm thinking about it. I'm horrible at making lists of favorite games. Like I hate picking and I'm, and I definitely am guilty of like always wanting to see the latest thing, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, those are, those are two that I come back to over and over again. Um, did you play the new one from, uh, Tom Lehman? Uh, I forget what it's called now. Res Arcana. I have not played that. Should I? Have you played it? I, well, how do you before I answer that, how do you feel about games that don't have um, well, like perfect information games? So like, uh, you know, obvious ones are like chess and go, but like also bigger Euro games that don't have any input randomness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean by that? Like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like because um, like for me, that's I don't like that. I really like it when new information is coming out throughout mm-hmm. the course of a game. I, I find that to be because um, otherwise you can kind of like. You have this, even if you can't calculate everything out to the end of the whole match, like, so you sort of have this feeling that you could, and it's. Or you it's, should. And then that makes me feel like I should. Exactly. And that's, it's a stressful feeling. I'm not going to. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so the way I think of it is like, you know, some games like don't let you calculate at all, right? Like, you can uh-huh. just look at the cards in your hand and just play the best card right now. And that, yep. I don't like that either but i i also don't like when it's the all 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 the way the other way and i can just calculate out to the to the end if i was like a super genius uh because both of those are have problems i like something in the middle and res arcana is not really in the middle in my opinion because it has no input randomness gotcha interesting Uh, but other than that it's a really cool game really interesting systems you know you can tell like uh this person is a very skilled designer and everything it's worth playing i would say cool yeah um cool well i mean that's pretty much all i had to talk about i I mostly wanted to just like riff about like violence and uh and competition and stuff Uh, if you have any more thoughts about that um before we uh sign off so one other thing that i've been thinking about is you know we you and i talked a bunch about sort of conflict between players Mm -hmm. 
But the other thing that I've been thinking about lately is that there are a bunch of co-op games that even though there isn't conflict bef- between players, there's still a lot of combat in the hmm. game. And that's something that I have realized I don't really enjoy. Hmm. Like just as a theme and a mechanism, um, both. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's, I, I have this actually written down that there's like two um, two kinds of violence, you could say. One is like, you know, thematic violence, right? So there's portrayals of guns and knives and bombs and people are, you know, blowing things up. And then there's like mechanical violence, which is um, sort of like actor removal and destruction of things that had been built throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And is there one of those or both of those that are is what's getting at or that's bothering you from from those because i have a lot of objections to both i think but uh, i'm curious about you yeah i think it's both for me mm-hmm. um so like i don't know there there are many things that i don't like about arkham horror but one of them is that you're just like constantly doing skill checks so like skill checks are a whole another category right within the world of violence of like mm-hmm. do you enjoy that mechanic mm-hmm. um but yeah like i'm just not interested in spending a game where the structure of it is that i'm just repeatedly having to get into to altercations with characters in the game whether they are other players or whether they are driven by the ai of the game itself yeah one thing that um because i've been trying to take that and kind of like dive deeper into that like what is it about it that that bothers me i think there's a couple of things one is thematically violence like I, i i don't think it's always you know harmful to portray violence but i think that you have to portray like what is the reasons for the violence? And a lot of the times the reasons for the violence is just like a maintenance of a status quo or like protecting power or, you know, it's, or like there's these scary outsiders that are coming mm-hmm. into like, you know, to get you. something's coming to get you and you have to keep fighting it off. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so the reasons for the violence are really important. And then on the mechanical level, I feel like, um, uh, so actor removal is something I think a lot about because, or, or, you know, throughout a, a match, we're like building all this meaning into these, you know, little tokens and little cards and whatever. Those things have meaning because we chose them and because we put them there and we, because we have a plan for them. And you know what I mean? Like they become these little characters in this play in our brain that like we're building up this little tree of meaning. And, mm-hmm. and the issue with like, a lot of these like war based games is that it's all about trying to push everything towards just a blank battlefield, right? Where everything has been, all the meaning has been destroyed (laughs) kind of like, right? Like that's the ultimate goal is wipe out the enemy forces. And, Mm -hmm. but the enemy forces are, are, are like what's creating structure and meaning in that system. And so there's like this inherent rub there where you as compared to something that's like more of just a pure system builder where it's like, yeah, I'm building up this tree of meaning, you know? Um, I don't know. So that's something that I think about a lot uh, uh, in terms of um, the mechanical uh, components of violence and how they might be sort of a problem for, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for doing this. This has been great. Um, I am really looking forward to your next games and the expansions, the wing expansions. Uh, <laughs> and 
yeah, I'm going to play some Wingspan uh, soon. I'm definitely going to get your flower game now that I've made the connection that my girlfriend is super into uh, uh, Victorian flower language. And I knew about this game, but I just like didn't put two and two together. So uh, I'm definitely going to be grabbing that as soon as I can. Is that available, Tussie Mussie, still? Or is it? I know it did a Kickstarter, yeah. right? Yeah, you can order it directly from Buttonshy. And I think right now they still have a Kickstarter going where they're repinting a bunch of their other games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you could order it as part of that Kickstarter, but you can also just go direct. And I think that like, gets you cheaper shipping, but you can also just go directly on their website and order it. They It's in stock right now. So Very cool. Yeah, and I. And, and, uh, my local game store has figured out how to sell button shy games in their store. Apparently they're doing well. They've got a little hanging rack for them. They've you can, apparently retailers can get button shy games in little plastic clamshells and, and hang them. And it's, it's, um, it's exciting to see cause I love some of those games and they're like, it's such an accessible price point. Um, and it's so interesting to me what people squeeze out of an 18 card game. Like mm. some of them are really phenomenal games. And, um, so I'm excited that, that they're making it a little bit more into retail. Yeah, no, that is super cool. We just did a, at my discord, we did a 18 card strategy game jam where everyone made, I think like 14 people made 18 card strategy games that were these like you know trying to be like systemic-y kind of euro-y games with just 18 cards wow uh so that was pretty fun and uh yeah so anything else you want to plug before uh you go where can people find your stuff or where should they go um so i have a website elizhargrave.com i'm too lazy to write out my whole name even though (laughs) i do go by elizabeth it's long um so eliz hargrave um and i'm pretty active on twitter too so that's another good place to find me the same handle eliz hargrave cool awesome well thank you so much for doing this all right my pleasure Thank you for listening, and don't forget that you can support this show by going to patreon.com slash keithbergun and becoming a patron. I have a lot of updates there about my games and uh, other things that I'm working on, so please come on by and check it out.